Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'm going to have you open John 10, 34. Before we get to John 10, your bulletin says John 10, and that's where we're going to be camping out this morning. But I also want to um, begin in Ezekiel chapter 34. Okay, this is the fun part when your iPad decides to... Okay, I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 34. So back in 2005, the BBC ran this very interesting story from the country of Turkey. Turkish shepherds watched in horror as this one sheep began to go over a cliff, a... 25-foot cliff, and a 1,000 sheep followed after that one sheep. And they all fell to their death, killing about 400 of them. Now, the sheep were able to bounce off each other, and so 1,000 sheep fell off the cliff, killing 400, because one sheep did it, and everybody else just followed. Now, what does that tell us about sheep? They're kind of dumb animals, aren't they? kind of wandering, kind of aimless. Have you ever heard of a cast sheep? Here's what a cast sheep is. A cast sheep would say something like this, I've fallen and I can't get up. Okay, here, here's a cast sheep. Either, either it's pregnant or it has too much wool, it falls over on its back. And here's what happens when a, when a sheep falls over on its back. It cannot roll itself back over. And in about an hour, that cast sheep can die because the gases in its intestines will begin to build up. And so the cast sheep gets very agitated, it gets very frustrated, and it will die within a very short period if some shepherd doesn't come and turn it over. So you have this sheep flat on its back. Helpless, defenseless, stupid, aimless, directionless. That's what we know about sheep. Now, why do you think the Bible would oftentimes describe us as sheep? Are we aimless and clueless and defenseless and directionless at times? You see, the text today is about Jesus being the good shepherd. But before we get to the text... It's very interesting how this theme of the sheep and the shepherd, this imagery, this motif, shows up all throughout the Bible. Think about the most famous psalm of all time, the 23rd Psalm. What does the 23rd Psalm say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is this caring shepherd for his people. He's the the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. 
God also knew that Israel would be clueless, they would be aimless, they would be wandering, especially in the wilderness. So God said, I'm going to set up a shepherd over you. And so God set up Moses as their shepherd. In Numbers chapter 27, 16 through 17, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. He shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. So Moses would lead them as their shepherd. We find out later on that David, King David, was literally a shepherd out in the fields who became the shepherd king of Israel. Jeremiah 31.10 Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. God is personified as a shepherd. Moses is personified as a shepherd. David is personified as a shepherd. In the Bible, being a shepherd meant that you took care to lead God's people. But the Bible has a lot to say about negative or poor or evil or bad shepherding. Those leaders of Israel who did not shepherd the sheep but abused them and exploited them. Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord to the shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. God's calling out the shepherds of Israel. You're exploiting, you're abusing the sheep, you're scattering the sheep, you're not taking care of the sheep. You are poor shepherds. They are afraid, they're scattered, they're abused, they are exploited. Now, what have we seen in the Gospel of John over the past few weeks with the Pharisees? The Pharisees should have been the shepherds of Israel. They should have been the spiritual leaders to lead the people, to guide the people to the Messiah, to Jesus. But what did we see last week in John chapter 9 with the man born blind? They revile him, they make fun of him, they don't believe him, and they kick him out of the synagogue. They abuse, in a sense, spiritually the people. Remember that the people were afraid, his parents were even afraid to give a testimony because they were afraid they were going to be kicked out of the synagogue. So you have this helpless man who's been 
blind from birth, who's been transformed by Jesus, and he goes and shares his testimony with the shepherds of Israel, quote-unquote, the Pharisees, and what do they do? They don't believe him, they malign him, they kick him out, and Jesus goes and finds the, the blind man, and remember what happens? The blind man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. The first man to ever worship Jesus before the resurrection in the Gospel of John. And then Jesus tells the story about how they were truly blind but couldn't see. And the question we looked at last week was, okay, who's truly blind in this story? And so you look at your Bible, and let's go now to John chapter 10. John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 are, are right next to each other because it's telling the same story. Who's truly blind in this, in this story? Last week we saw the Pharisees were blind. Now Jesus is going to tell an analogy. He's going to use an illustration. He's going to talk about the shepherd and the sheep to continue to indict the Pharisees for their poor shepherding of the nation of Israel. So with that as the background, let's pick up in John chapter 10, verse 1. This is right after the blind man and Jesus had that encounter, and the Pharisees overheard Jesus talking, and now he's going to turn to the Pharisees and talk about really what it means to be a shepherd of the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 6 says this is a figure of speech. Jesus is using an analogy, an illustration. And what's the illustration that he's using here? Thieves, robbers, strangers were climbing over the, the fence to try to get in and disturb or steal or scatter the sheep. These strangers, these thieves were coming in to scatter the sheep. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So in this parable, in this story, who are these thieves and robbers and strangers that are coming in to disturb the sheep? Well, it's the Pharisees. Jesus is calling them out with this story, this analogy, saying, listen, you guys are the robbers. You guys are the thieves. You're the ones that are, that are coming in and scattering the sheep. You are the ultimate of Ezekiel 34, those poor shepherds of Israel. But God made an amazing promise at the tail end of Ezekiel 34 of what he would do one day in the future. Ezekiel 34, 22 through 24, listen to God's promise. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I've spoken. God's going to set up King David over his sheep. Now, here's the interesting thing about Ezekiel. When Ezekiel 
heard these words of prophecy, David had been dead hundreds of years. So it's not literally King David who would be the one shepherd set up over to rule the sheep. Who would be the one shepherd? Who would be the one in the the line of King David who would come and fulfill this promise and be the good shepherd to the sheep? It's none other than Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills this prophecy. Jesus is the true son of David. Jesus is the good shepherd who's going to come and feed and lead and guide and protect his sheep. So let's see how Jesus explains this. Let's continue reading verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the good shepherd. These are the third and fourth I am statements that we see in the Gospel of John. There are seven I am statements. I am the bread of life was the first. I am the light of the world is number two. And here's the third and fourth. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Now what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the good shepherd? You know the word good there means excellent praiseworthy, the real deal, the model shepherd. Unlike these other shepherds that were trying to come in and scatter the sheep, Jesus is the true, good, ultimate shepherd. There's a lot in this passage of Scripture. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to explore six truths about this text that tell us a lot of things, six just glorious truths that will help us worship the Lord this morning about who you are as a sheep, who Jesus is as a shepherd, and how we worship him, how we respond to him as our good shepherd. So let's explore these truths together. Here's truth number one. It's the most important. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Notice what he says in verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am... The door, the door. And then in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, what's Jesus referring to when he calls himself a door? Is he literally a door? How do you enter into Jesus? 
Let me give you a, a mental picture of what a sheep pen would look like in that ancient culture. It was either circular or it was rectangular in shape, but it was made out of stones. And the stones would be high enough so that nobody could jump over, and there may be like some vines and other things protecting the sheepfold. Think of DOC for a moment, those of you that work out there. High fence, barbed wire, keep people out, right? This is to keep people from getting in. So you have this huge or you have this tall stone wall with vines and there's only one way to get into the sheepfold. There's only one door to get in. Now you could climb over and try to get in, but that would be illegal, that would be unauthorized, that would be the wrong way to get in. You would be a thief or a robber. And so the gatekeeper would actually sometimes literally sleep across the entrance, but when he heard the voice of the shepherd, he could let the shepherd in because there's only one way in and one way out of the sheepfold. There's only one door. It was built into the wall. There's only one way in. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's only one way in to the pasture. There's only one way in to eternal life. There's only one door that gets you to heaven. There's only one gate that you must enter in order to have eternal life, and that is me. I am the door. You must enter into me. I'm the only way. Not one of many ways that you sometimes hear people say. Not one of a better way compared to other ways. Jesus is flat out the only way. Now, the Old Testament oftentimes talked about a gate or a door to heaven. Remember when Jacob had his dream there at Bethel and he, he Jacob's ladder and he falls asleep and sees the angels ascending and descending and, and what does he say when he wakes up? In Genesis 28, 17, I was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. This is the doorway to heaven. I've seen the, the portal, the only entrance into heaven. Psalm 118, 20. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. There's a gate, there's a door that you must enter. Now, it's interesting. What does Jesus say in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount about the gate or the door when it comes to eternal life? What did Jesus say? In Matthew 7, 13-14, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way that is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's a very unpopular statement in today's pluralistic world. But you will never hear me deviate from that till the day I die. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to Jesus being the only way? Here's how you respond. You must enter through Jesus by trusting him for salvation. You need to enter. The most important thing for you this morning is to make sure that you have entered into the door. 
that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have entered into the gate, that you've trusted him alone for salvation, that you believe he is the only way. So let me just ask you a question. Are you a sheep this morning? What's the alternative to being a sheep? Being a goat. And you do not want to be a goat. You want to be a sheep. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 31 through 34. This is about the end time judgment. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in all of his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will gather all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The sheep will enter eternal life. The goats will go to hell. So the most important thing you can do this morning is make sure you're a sheep. Make sure you're a sheep. And how do you know? You have entered into Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only door. He's the only portal. He's the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ or with the Father is through entering into Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing Jesus says here. I'm the door. I am the only way. So don't wait any longer this morning. Enter into Jesus. Make sure you're a sheep. You don't want to be a goat on that final day of judgment. Okay, here's truth number two. Jesus intimately knows his sheep. I love this about this passage of scripture. He knows us. There's there's a phrase that's repeated. Look at verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He calls his own sheep by name. Down in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. It's the whole picture of ownership. Jesus owns us. He's got his own sheep. And not only does he own us, but he knows us. Verse 3, we are his own. He knows us. We are his own. Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Back in those ancient times, a shepherd would have a nickname for a sheep. He would know the sheep by name. He would have special nicknames. And he would know what sheep was going through what problem by the way that they groaned or sighed. He could say, that's Sally, that's um, Ernie, that's whatever name he named the, the sheep. Because he knew the sheep so intimately when they grunted or growled or, or when they, um, what do sheep do? Bah, what is it called? Bleeding? They bleat? I don't even know what sheep do. They bleat. When the sheep was bleating, the shepherd knew exactly what they were going through because they were his own. Now let me ask you a question. Do you ever sigh or groan or express frustration or sigh or experience pain? Of course we do. Psalm 38, 9. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Do you know what Jesus knows about you? Jesus knows your tears. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows you because you're his own. 
He intimately knows every single thing you're going through. And when you're going through trials, when you're going through tribulations, when you're going through struggles, Jesus knows everything about you. He is there for you. He is the good shepherd. He knows you. You're his own. He calls you by name. As a matter of fact, what does Matthew 10, 29 through 30 say? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are numbered? Now, some of you, that's not as challenging for God as others. But the thing about it is that Jesus knows the sheep. He knows the sheep. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows everything about you. He, he can look deeply into your, to your life. There's nothing hidden from the eyes of the good shepherd. So here's the question. If he intimately knows you, then how should you respond to the shepherd? We'll spend more time hearing his voice in the word there is a very cool interplay between shepherd and sheep in this passage of scripture the shepherd knows his sheep and what do the sheep know the sheep know his his voice so when a stranger comes and calls to the sheep they're not going to listen but when the shepherd comes when the shepherd opens his mouth when the shepherd calls their ears are perked up because they know that's their shepherd so how do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Well, you go to where his voice is most clearly spoken, and that's his word. Every time you read the Bible, God is speaking to you, and you can hear his voice unadulterated in the written word. You know it's the voice of God because it's the written, inspired word of God. And so how do you grow in your knowledge of the shepherd? How do you grow in intimacy, knowing Jesus more deeply? Well, you read his word. You get to know his word. And the more that you read his word, guess what you become? You become what I call a discerning listener. Now, what's a discerning listener? It means that when a stranger's voice comes along and there's some heresy or there's some weird stuff or stuff that doesn't, that's just not right, you have trained yourself so much to hear the voice of the shepherd that when this weird stuff comes along, you don't listen. You're not allured. You're not influenced. You've become a discerning listener. You're able to recognize it's a stranger's voice, not Jesus' voice. Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Are you training yourself by constant practice to distinguish or discern good from evil? How do you do that? The more you read the word, the more you become a discerning listener. How do you hear the voice of the shepherd? You spend time in his word. The sheep hear his voice. How do you hear his voice? In his word. When you read his word. Truth number three. Jesus lovingly leads his sheep. Not only does he know you, but he leads you. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And what does he do? He leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is really what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. He's the leader He's the guide. He's the one that's out front. You're following him. You are following Jesus. 
Now, today, when you look at some type of sheep pens and, and sheep farmers, a lot of times there's a, there's a sheep dog that herds them from behind, kind of like we herd cattle. But back during Jesus' time and even to today, the shepherd did not go behind herding the sheep from behind. He stands out in front of the sheep. He leads the sheep. He calls to the sheep, and the sheep will follow behind the voice of the one leading them. Do you see the picture here? Who's the leader in the scenario? Is it the sheep or the shepherd? Who's leading? The shepherd. In other words, who's leading your life? Are you out front calling the shots? Are you the one that's wandering aimlessly around trying to, trying to do your own thing? Are you the captain? Are you the leader? Are you the one in charge making your own life what you want it to be? Or are you a sheep following Jesus as your leader? See, far too many of us want to be the leader. We want to chart our own course and not stand behind and follow Jesus, who is the Lord, the leader. You know, if, a sh- if the sheep don't follow the shepherd, what may happen to them? Like we saw in Turkey, they may just fall off the cliff. You may fall off a lot of cliffs and get yourself seriously hurt by not following the shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So how do you respond to Jesus as the leader? Here's how you respond. Follow Jesus in obedience to his lordship. Follow the leader. The sheep follow the shepherd. Don't be the one directing your own life. Be the one following Jesus. Don't be the one charting your own course. Follow Jesus in obedience to his lordship. Don't be the lord of your life. Jesus is the lord. What does he say in Luke 9, 23? He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Are you doing that as a sheep? Are you daily dying to yourself, dying to your interests, dying to your wishes, dying to your agenda, and are you taking up your cross and following Jesus wherever he leads you as the shepherd of your soul, as the Lord of your life? The sheep hear his voice, and the sheep follow him. Are you hearing his voice, and are you following him? Here's truth number four. Jesus provides abundant life for the sheep. Abundant life for a sheep. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now notice the thief here. Not thieves, plural, the thief. Satan, the devil. What's the devil's agenda? To steal your joy, to kill your life, and to ultimately see you destroyed. He, he, is, he does not want anything good for you. He wants destruction. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, that's not going to happen to my sheep. That can't happen to you as a sheep. Satan can't come in and destroy you. Jesus says, I have given them life. And what type of life? Not just eternal life, but abundant life. I've given them life abundantly. You can experience the joy of your salvation, the joy of forgiveness, the satisfaction that comes in having a personal relationship with Christ, the security of of knowing that he will lead you to to streams of living water. What does the the 23rd Psalm say? Psalm 23, 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This abundant life of joy 
Jesus said earlier, streams of living water will flow from you. Now, abundant does not mean stress-free or pain-free or tribulation-free. Jesus could give you an abundant life of trials. Thank you, Jesus. Abundantly doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be peaches and cream or lollipops and whatever people. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go your way. It just means that the life that he gives you is going to be full because he's the center of your life. And he will be with you through whatever you go through as your joy, as your safety, as your security. So how do you respond to that? Well, just enjoy fellowship with Jesus. Enjoy that fellowship with Jesus by feeding on the green pastures of his word. It's okay. You have permission to enjoy Jesus. Amen? Some of you just aren't here this morning, are you? It's okay to enjoy Jesus to enjoy his presence, to feed off of his word, to spend time in worship. Here's truth number five. Jesus sacrificially died for his sheep. This is really the heart of the passage. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now this lay down his life is very unique terminology. It's not really found anywhere else in the Bible. This whole idea of Jesus laying down his life. He has authority to lay it down. He has authority to take it up. It's this whole idea that Jesus is dying not only as the shepherd, but as the sheep as well. The the lamb of God that takes away our sins. It's this whole idea that Jesus is giving of his life for the sheep. Very, very important. Prepositions are very, very important in the Greek language. For the sheep. Huper is the Greek preposition. We translate huper or for this way. In the place of. In the stead of. As a substitute for. That little Greek preposition is none other than Jesus dying in the place of as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. Who should have died on the cross? We should have died as sheep. We should have been the ones nailed to that cross, experiencing all of the guilt of our sin, experiencing all the justice of God's wrath against sin for our rebellion. But instead of us dying on the cross for our sins that we can never pay for, Jesus steps in the gap and he dies in our place as the good shepherd for his sheep. It's very reminiscent to the Old Testament language in Isaiah 53, 6-7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Ironically, the shepherd becomes the sacrifice, the sheep. The shepherd dies for the sheep as the ultimate lamb. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How do you respond to the fact that Jesus laid down his life for you as a sheep? How, How do you respond to that? You rest in the finished work of Christ. You rest in that. You can't do anything to save yourself. 
You can't do anything to atone for your sins. You can't die on the cross for yourself. You are not called to do anything to somehow cleanse yourself, make yourself acceptable to God, forgive yourself. You can do nothing. The only thing you can do is rest in what was already done for you, the finished work of Christ. He died on the cross for the sheep, and you rest in that finished work. When you enter into Jesus, when you enter into the only way, you enter into what he's done for you. And that is a complete, finished work, never to be repeated, once and for all, sacrifice, the way the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It was a once and for all sacrifice. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep in your place. Rest in the finished work of Christ. But there's one other truth that we can't miss. Because this applies to us and what our mandate is as a church. Truth number six Jesus will gather all his sheep into one flock. Look at verse 16. It may be a little bit confusing. You're like, what is Jesus talking about here? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. What's Jesus talking about here? Who's his original audience he's talking to here in the Gospel of John? Jews. I have other sheep that aren't of this flock. Who's he talking about? Gentiles. Non-Jews that he has as his sheep. Gentiles that are scattered throughout the world right now as sheep. John eleven fifty one through 52 Caiaphas did not know any better when he was prophesying about what Jesus would do. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Who's that? Israel. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Right now, Jesus has sheep scattered all over the world. Not just Jews but Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. What do we find out in Revelation? Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God. Where? From every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the missionary mandate of the gospel. Here's what happens. When we go to the nations, whether it be to India, whether it be to Russia, whether it be to your next door neighbor, whether it be across the street, when you go with the gospel and you tell people about Jesus, there will be scattered sheep. And what will the scattered sheep do? If they are Jesus' sheep, they will hear his voice and they will come. And you have confidence to know that Jesus will gather the sheep into one flock. Jew and Gentile into one flock. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. So how do you respond to this? What are you supposed to do? Go and tell others about Jesus, the good shepherd. Go and tell the sheep that aren't not yet sheep. See, here's, here's the confidence that we have. Look at verse 16. What does Jesus say? I have other sheep. Present tense. I currently have other sheep. They're not in my fold yet. 
And how are they going to get in the fold unless somebody goes and tells them about Jesus? So there's sheep all over the world right now waiting to be told about Jesus. And when you go tell a sheep that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the shepherd, that Jesus is the one who died and rose again, what does the promise from Scripture here say? The sheep will hear his voice and they will come. You don't have to arm twist. You don't have to cajole. You don't have to do all these types of gimmicks. You simply tell people that Jesus is the shepherd. And if they're a sheep, they will come. And right now, they're all over the world. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, there are scattered sheep all over the world. How will the sheep come and hear the voice of the shepherd unless you and me go and tell them that Jesus is Savior? This is the missionary mandate of our church. We have got to go tell people about the good shepherd so that the sheep can hear his voice. And when they hear his voice, they will come. And there'll be one flock. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the only way of salvation, no other way. He intimately knows the sheep. He lovingly leads the sheep. He provides abundant life for the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. And one day he's going to gather all the sheep and we will be before his throne in glory. 1 Peter 2.25 For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. And Peter here says, you're wandering, you're you're aimless. How many of you here are wandering? How many of you here are aimless? How many of you here are directionless, defenseless? You're like a sheep. Peter says, listen, you need to return to the shepherd of your soul, Jesus, the good shepherd how do you respond to jesus as the good shepherd you know as i was reading this passage of scripture i was drawn to another place in the bible where jesus is not called the good shepherd he's called the great shepherd so this is my prayer for you as your under shepherd remember jesus is the senior pastor of this church i'm not but as your under shepherd i have a prayer for us this morning And it's the prayer that the writer of Hebrews prays at the end of the book of Hebrews. It's a benediction. And so as I read this passage, this is my prayer for you, my prayer for me, that we would all live under the lordship of the great shepherd. So what does Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 say? Now may the God of peace, some of you may need peace this morning, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant what's the prayer equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen would we all leave this place being equipped by Jesus to live a life that's pleasing to him, that's a life that glorifies him because he's the great shepherd of the sheep that by the blood of his cross laid down his life that you and and me might have abundance, we might have direction, we might have intimacy, we might have joy, and we might be able to tell others about this Jesus. So there'll be one flock. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait till that day when the entire of God's elect redeemed people 
are before the throne of grace and we are singing personally to the lamb who was slain, our great shepherd. I don't want you to miss that. So make sure today that you're a sheep. Enter into Jesus as the only way. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. We thank you that you are our good shepherd. Thank you for having the authority to lay down your life for the sheep. We do not deserve your sacrifice. We do not deserve your love or your grace, but you chose to do it anyway because you love the sheep. Thank you, Jesus, that you know us intimately no matter what we're going through even this morning, that you know about it, you care about it, you, you, you're there for us, we can cast our cares upon you because you care about us. You're not distant, you're right in the middle of what we're going through. Thank you, Jesus, that you lead us as Lord. We want to follow you. We don't want to follow ourselves, we want to follow you. Help us to follow your Lordship. Thank you, Jesus, for the abundant life you give us, the joy that we can enjoy you, that we can have fellowship with you, that we can have the abundant life that comes through you. And Lord, help us to go out of this place and tell other people about you. Help us to go tell people about the good shepherd so that the sheep can hear your voice. Help us to go out with the gospel with confidence. Thank you, Jesus, that one day you as the lamb of God that was slain you will be the centerpiece of heaven on the throne and we as your people will be around you worshiping, singing the new song, forever falling on our faces before the good shepherd. Lord, my prayer is that nobody leaves this place today without entering into the gate, the door the one way of salvation, Jesus Christ. Would we all leave this place confidently knowing that we're sheep that have been saved by the shepherd? We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.